Aloha, unconventional friends out there. How are you today? This is your unconventional professor speaking. My name is Loredana Padurian, and welcome back to another episode of the Unconventional Professor podcast. For those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. I am so grateful that you chose to give your time to this podcast. I know there are so many amazing ones out there. I know because I listen to a lot of podcasts, especially these days when my eyes are glued to the screen for hours and hours and I really feel like I need a break. I am talking to you right now from my bedroom in Kuala Lumpur, looking outside the window and seeing green trees and blue skies and this illusion that the world is okay, but somehow we are stuck in this prison. I don't want to be too down today, but uh, um, I have an amazing guest once again. I have to say, so far, I only had amazing guests. It could be because I only know amazing people, or it could be that I'm a little bit biased, but I'm not biased, so they have to be amazing. Uh, so in preparation for our amazing speaker, I want to talk a little bit about the things that I like, because this is, I like what I like. So today, I want to tell you that I like people who bring me solutions. I know, it sounds very cliched, right? But the truth is that I am faced with this situation on a daily basis. I'm presented with problems uh, rather than a solution thinking type, uh, right? So let's say that I have a problem and I want to bring it up to, to my boss or to my colleague or to my friend. But I think what helps a lot, not only my boss or my friend, but what helps me is to stretch a little bit my uh, solution building muscles and before I outsource the solving of the problem to somebody else which is what you do when you bring up a problem to your boss is I want to think a little bit about what would I do what would I think the solution would be and what are the consequences uh, of, of any of the possible actions so I like people that are proactive in solving problems people that propose a couple of solutions that understand the cost and the implications of any of these decisions um, and people who don't say I don't know because I don't know for me it's a very static statement whereas let me think about it it's a lot more productive statement so I like what I like and I like people who are very solution driven I know I'm not opening your eyes to anything new but sometimes just restating the obvious, it helps us. So stay tuned for my next guest. The amazing Melvin Co is here with us. We will talk about some of the craziest things I have ever done. <laughs> some of the crazy things he does, which is jumping out of planes. We will talk about recovering post-divorce. We will talk about uh, being unapologetic for uh, your standards for excellence uh, and God knows what we will talk more. So stand by for the five on five with uh, Marvin Co. This is Professor Loredana Padurian, your unconventional professor. I'll see you soon. Co, how are you today? Aloha. Aloha, indeed. <laughs> I'm I love good. This. I'm good. How are you? I'm very happy to talk to you. I haven't talked to you in a long time. The last time I saw you was at the bakery a while ago. But because of this new world, I don't know what you're doing, how you're doing. So I thought, what a best, 
what a better way than to uh, to catch up over this new podcast of mine. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Lordana, for having me. Uh, for those Thank of you. you who don't know, <laughs> Lordana, this professor who has this ability to get you to do things that you don't usually do. <laughs> so it's my first time doing this. I'm a little nervous, but excited at the same time. So thank you, Lordana. I, I can't promise that I will be gentle, but I promise you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who are just joining in, this is your unconventional professor speaking. My name is Loredana Podurian. This is the unconventional uh, podcast, professor podcast. And on five on five today, we have Merle who is one of my students. He's a student in the uh, MBA for working professionals. And uh, he's class of 21, right? So you're graduating next year? Yes, in a few more months. If everything goes well? Yes, if everything goes well. <laughs> Which we shouldn't really say that anymore, huh? <laughs> well, every day is day one. Every day is day one, that is true. So, uh, Merle, as you know, this model of this podcast is unconventional, just like us. And uh, the, the way it's going to go is I'm going to have five questions for you. And I understand you have five questions for me. Um, I'm very excited to jump right in. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go straight into my first question, which is the question I usually ask all my guests. Tell us in a few words about yourself and what makes you unconventional. Hmm. Okay, I'm Melvin Ko. I'm a Malaysian working in the energy sector in Sakura Energy. Um, mm -hmm. What makes me unconventional? Well, I think I have two very parallel lives, one very conventional and one very unconventional. Uh, on one like hand, Batman. <laughs> I, I grew up, you know, in a, with fairly decent grades. I represented school in uh, many school activities, science competitions, like, you know, at the national level. Um, then I moved on to get a scholarship in engineering. Um, and then I got a job in the energy sector and I've worked for the same company for eight years. So that's very conventional. Uh, to most Are you people. still with them? Yes, I'm still with Sapura Energy. Great place to be in. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, I think uh, with all of this going on, I do have some really fun stuff too. I think as a teenager growing up, I've worked as a video editor. I became a musician, um, being underage, playing gigs, playing clubs, which I wasn't supposed wow. to. Um, I did a <laughs> lot of recordings, uh, you know, being on the radio and in the press. Then I've worked as a recording engineer. Uh, I've done like commercials. I did a movie. Um, I, did, um, I didn't know that. Most of the top 10 Malaysia, uh, English Malaysia songs, uh, we've worked, I've worked with um, one of the AIM award-winning audio engineers, Jidaida Wong, who became my mentor. Um, other odd jobs I've had was a music teacher and I was even at a point a kindergarten teaching assistant. That's very unconventional <laughs> for male in Asia. That's amazing. I had no idea. I swear to God, I had not, no idea of this. But I have to tell you, one of the amazing things about doing this podcast is I actually ask people that I like, but I don't know anything about them. And I just assume that everybody has an unconventional story. And when I get to hear a little bit about your story and, you know, I, we, we talk to Jonathan, to Sam, to Crystal, to, to so many others, it is so validating to hear that you might look conventional on the outside, but 
boy oh boy deep inside are you a superstar or what <laughs> that's that's very yeah. colorful i'm gonna ask you many questions about this now that you tell me all about your colorful batman secret lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think i think most of us uh in the asb mba program we're all very unconventional even the most uh conventional looking ones you'll you'll be surprised yeah. to find out uh, what they do yes i actually have before before i ask you to to ask me your question i have one of our students uh yasman haris he introduced himself to me recently as the most conventional Malaysian man. And I'm like, you are challenging me with this right now, aren't you? Because if you would uh, present yourself as the most conventional man, I bet you're going to end up on my podcast and will realize that you are not really as conventional as you think you are. <laughs> so, Merle, I am ready for your first question for me. I'm super excited. Uh, once again, for those of you listening for the first time, we actually do not ask each other the questions in advance. We do not prepare for the for the interviews in the sense that we do not rehearse. So I never know what I'm going to be asked and my guests never know what I will ask them. All right. So um, I'm going to make this really fun. Uh, Professor Lord Dana, you know, I do crazy stuff. Like I do skydiving. I ride motors. Merle, I think I lost you for a second. All right, guys, the, uh, I, I can't really hear Merle very well. So let me try to see if I can bring him back. This is the first time happening. So let me try this. Let me try this again. Hi. So sorry. Welcome back. So I think we were left with your first question for me, Merle. Hi. So, Professor, you know I do really fun and crazy things like skydiving and riding motorcycles. So, I'm going to yep. start off asking you a crazy question, too. I'm mm. going to ask you, what's the closest you've ever come to being arrested? Or the Recently? naughtiest thing you've done? Recently? Recently. <laughs> Anytime. I want to hear these juicy stories of yours. Uh, I got very close a couple of times, actually, but not recently. Uh, thanks God, I got very close before the days of social media. I have to tell you, um, there's a reason why I'm a professor today. And it's because we didn't have social media when I was in college. Because had we had social media, I would have been a very, very different person and definitely not somebody in the, in the, in the world of teaching. I, um, I remember this one case. It's been a few situations, but in one case... Um, I went with my best friend to the Black Sea uh, at the beach. Um, and I live very, very far from, from the beach, about 12 hour drive or something like that. And um, we didn't know that uh, outside of season, it's illegal to be on the beach because it's considered to be uh, sort of like frontier territory, something like that. So, so the two of us, we had this, uh, I don't know, girl romantic weekend, something, something. and. We got there, we were drinking a bottle of champagne all by ourselves on the beach. And then this policeman comes and says, uh, what are you doing here? I said, what do you mean? We're enjoying the sea. What are you doing here? I said, do you know that it's illegal for you to be here because it's considered to be, uh, you know, the border? So I was like, what are you talking about? I've been here like three months ago. And he said, yeah, maybe three months ago, but outside of season, this is considered to be, you know, you're, you're, breaking, you're breaking the law. They were like, holy shit, we didn't know we're breaking the law. So he brought us to 
the police station. I don't think my parents know this, by the way, they don't speak English, so I can get away with this. But they brought us to the police station. They kept us for five or six hours. Uh, and then they put us in the first train back home. And I have to say, we were confused. We were scared. We were grateful. Uh, and also, we, we didn't know. We didn't know that you can break the law. And then another time, <laughs> oh God, if I think, nobody asked me this question. I love this question, Maro. And then another time we went again. So when I was in college, obviously we were dirt poor, like we were broke. And, but on the other hand, we were very crazy. And uh, we went one time to, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Prodigy. Prodigy was this amazing band, very sort of rave punk, very you know, very popular in the 2000s. And we went to a concert, uh, but we didn't have money for, we only had money for the tickets and everything else we had to hitchhike. <laughs> so we, we, we were hitchhiking uh, in, in Bucharest in the capital. And then the police stopped and he said, you know, uh, they wanted to accuse us of prostitution or, or trying to try to pick up clients, I guess, or something, because we were on the way to the concert and, we looked a little bit um, <clears throat> unconventional from a clothing perspective, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, so, so we got stopped by, by a police car who was like, uh, are you soliciting? And we're like, we're soliciting a ride to the concert. <laughs> and they're like, you can't do this. Don't you know that you can't look like this and be on the streets and try to stop cars? And like, well, we don't have money for the bus to go to the concert. So we rode in the back of the police car to the concert. We got there in time. <laughs> So these are the, the recent ones that I remember, but it's been a few times. I was, I have to say, I was a very, very naughty girl when I was in college. So, uh, Lordana, like, uh, you've answered that you, more than what I've asked for. It's twice. <laughs> I know. And for those not listening, maybe Lordana, you could explain to them how do you usually dress in class? <laughs> well, I don't know how I dress in class. Maybe you should tell them how I dress in class. I think I dress with a lot of style. What do you think I dress in class like? Well... Uh, you dress very fashionably. I think like you break that whole stereotype I had of professors of just being like old men in oversized suits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I have to say, I am very proud of communicating to the world that there's a different, there's a different expectation of what a professor looks like. And I said this recently on a podcast that only when I came to Malaysia, I've been hearing this a lot, like, oh my God, you're a professor, but you don't look like a professor. And they say all the time, like, what do you want me to look like? What do you expect me to look like? And I guess this is what they expect me to, to, to look like, like an old white man in an oversized suit, which, by the way, is such a perfect description. I never thought about it this way. <laughs> so now, now that you've been naughty with me, let me be naughty with you. Uh, so I didn't know that you do all this music and you're a musician I might even ask you to sing at some point. Um, in I, by the way, I don't have a video. I mean, a sound editor for my podcast. So if you want to sing I a song, that we can use I'm it for sorry, the background. No, no, I can sing. <laughs> so, what kind of musician are you, if you can sing? And by the way, this is not one of my questions. But what kind of musician? I, I play are the you? guitar. I. Oh, you yes. play the guitar. Okay. So I want you, since you started with a naughty question, I want you to tell me what is the cheesiest thing you ever did to get a girl or a boy, I don't know what side of the spectrum you're dating on, uh, and you used a little bit of your musician, you know, singing guitar, being a movie star, whatever. What, what's the cheesiest thing you ever did to, to a partner? Wow, this caught me off guard. 
you know, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite an introvert and a shy person. So some, some really? of the whole guitar thing has always been an escape for me. So I've not I even played even a song to any girl I like or any girl I've dated. Or even, even the girl I've married uh, before uh, I got a divorce. I thought I even played a song. So that's how conventional i am it's this little escape that i have uh with me i see yes so you're using it more for for your own um escapism rather than to pick up chicks uh, i've not picked up that skill yet to pick up chicks maybe because i play too too much rock songs <laughs> well there's still time there's are you time. Uh, i understand that you got a divorce but there's still time right there is still time i can I can show you some of the tricks from back in my days. I think they still apply. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll have a class on that. Yeah, let's have a class on that. How to pick up unconventional <laughs> unconventional one-on-ones. All right, so your first question, I have to say, if you think that I caught you off guard, boy, did you take me <laughs> off guard. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm really grateful that my parents don't speak English. So for my friends who speak English and know my parents, please do not tell them any of this, okay? <laughs> All right, hit me, baby, one more time. I'm ready for your second question. All right. Um, the second one is more about to, to know what you like to do outside of work. Uh, Lordana, I know you're someone who works very hard, have a high level of excellence. But let's say if you are given one year not to work, not to work at all, and a limited <sighs> budget of a million US dollars, what would you do? Well, first of all, I'm not sure that a million dollars would last me for a year, but I'm going to try to be frugal. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have to say, um, I, I love the question because you take me outside of my daily daily life. Uh, I, I have to admit, I don't do a lot of things outside of work in Malaysia and not because I don't want to, but I don't even know what to do, where to go, with whom. I actually love to dance. I love, I love clubbing, believe it or not. But I don't get to do it in, in, in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur, because I don't have any friends that want to take me clubbing with them. Bad friends, by the way. Ever, nobody in Malaysia ever offered to take me out. <laughs> so everyone who's listening but, to this podcast, I think, like, yeah, let's take Professor out clubbing. Who, who could take exactly. my Professor out to go clubbing in KL? Exactly. And then if we get arrested, we have a story for the next podcast. <laughs> So I would say if I were to have a million dollars and I didn't have to work for a year, uh, I would probably be drunk on champagne for the first month. Uh, I would go somewhere to a beach club and be there for a month and just drink champagne every day starting in the morning because that's the one thing that I love doing when I go on vacations. But most of my vacations are 72 hours. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the hangover would be too long after a month, but I would do that. And then the other thing that I would do, which I would love to do, I would love to take a, a maybe a cooking class around the world, kind of a kind of a course. But uh, I, I'll be very honest. I think I would want to party. I would want to party for a whole year. I would want to party in Goa, in India. I want to go back to Europe, and maybe don't maybe not party in Ibiza because it's such a cliche now. But Greece has an amazing party scene. Uh, I would definitely want to go and party in South America because boy, oh boy, are they muy caliente. Uh, I had an amazing time in Australia. I love Australian men because they are so tall and I finally feel like a, a woman. <laughs> so uh, I don't know how much I can drink and party for a whole year, but maybe a million dollars would last. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do 
have champagne taste. <laughs> it might be finished in your first month. <laughs> it's true, but maybe we can find a sponsor. You know what? Maybe I can put it on the podcast that we can find a sponsor and maybe Moya Shandong can, can sponsor me for a whole year of, of podcasting. Fun question. I'm giving you the five extra points for the most fun question so far on the podcast. So you told me that you do skydiving. I have to tell you, out of all the crazy things that I have done in my life, uh, skydiving is the scariest thing that I can think of. And I think I will never do it. So my question for you is, what determined you to start? So what was the first thought that you had when you said, you know what? Yeah, I want to get on a plane and jump and see what happens. And what drives you to do it? Hmm. I think contrary to popular belief, people always think that uh, those who do skydiving and all these extreme sports just have no fear. But I actually have a fear of heights. So, wow. <laughs> so um, it's just something I thought, you know what, that sounds so scary. I, if I could do it, that would be such a big achievement. So it's been hanging at mm-hmm. the back of my head for years and years. And finally, when I had the chance to go to Australia and had a shot at it, um, I voiced it out to uh, my siblings and my friends who actually pulled the money in together for me, you know, being a student and being tight on budget. Yeah. Pulled in the funds for me to actually go do that. And, you know, actually that's the fun part of actually going up there. I was shaking a lot, but when it's time to do it, <laughs> um, I kind of said something very close to what you always say, uh, Professor, like, how hard can it be? <laughs> but uh, once it comes to the time when they opened the door and you have to decide to jump, oh, that was really, really tough. But it was, it got easier after that. You jumped off the plane and um, it's like the best feeling in the world. Yeah, really? if you could do it, I would say go for it. So I, I have a massive fear of heights, massive. <laughs> uh, and it's something that I've been trying to deal with for, for most of my life. Uh, but I, I can't really... When you were talking about it, when you were talking about opening the door and looking outside, I, I had a mini panic attack as you were speaking. I am so terrified of this. It, it's all right. There'll be a guy. If you're jumping for the first time, there'll be a guy or a woman with you. So uh, they'll push you out of the plane. <laughs> oh, th- thank you so very much. I don't need people to push me out of the plane. I need people to catch me out of the plane. <laughs> I have to say, I am extremely vain. I'm a very vain person. So if the guy and the girl are very, very cute and good looking, I might jump just because I'm too vain to say no to that. So keep that in mind, Merle. Maybe we'll jump together because ladies listening, Merle is very good looking. All right. Awesome question. Let me hear your next question for me. And I have to say, I'm a little bit afraid now. <laughs> okay, we'll go for something a little bit uh, more serious. Um, I think when, when I first okay. met you, I was really impressed by how unapologetic you are about excellence. So um, I'm not going to ask you about uh, success or failures, but I feel that maybe highly driven people such as yourself would have very high self-expectations. Could you share with me an experience where you were just disappointed with yourself? Today? I mean, even today it happened. I can tell you three three things that happened this week. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm I, all here. Yeah. I think I think the biggest disappointment that I have currently is that I cannot I cannot find the the drive or the energy in me to finish my book. My book is eighty percent done. I'm so proud of it. I love the content. I spent so much time and so much effort doing it, and I'm extremely disappointed myself for not being able to to do it. But um, Recently, I think actually 
uh, I don't know. I, I heard it in a podcast. Somebody suggested a book about uh, the minimalist life or something like that. And I only started reading a little bit the first chapter, but it speaks about how you need to start saying no to things that are important but not critical to you. And maybe that's one way of overcoming, um, you know, the uh, this this constant struggle of or this constant juggle of so many things. And then the sad thing, uh, uh, Merle, is that the most important thing seems to be paying the highest price, right? So I, I tend to do a lot of things for a lot of people. I tend to say yes to a lot of things that are not critical, but they seem important at that moment. And I, uh, at the cost of of writing my my book or at uh, the cost of doing the things that I think are important, critical and valuable. So I am very disappointed in myself for that. And and I have to say, now that I said it out loud, maybe the, the shame and the guilt will follow me and I'll have to, to get in and, and get done. Wow, a book by Professor Loredana. Have, have we had a title for your book well, yet? So I have two books in progress. One, one it's a it's a entrepreneurship book. It's my it's the, the the jungle journey of entrepreneurship. I think the the title is still in progress, but I love uh, startup startup tracks. You know, I'm a I'm a lover of Star Treks, but this is startup tracks. And then the second book that I have in mind, it's called I Hate People and Other Management Lessons. Yeah, I like. Do you like that? I love that. <laughs> that sounds so you. <laughs> That is very much me indeed, but uh, I, I have to I have to admit that uh, the, the first book is the entrepreneurship book that I think it's it's almost ready to to see the light of of uh, publishing. It's just that the last twenty percent of the book requires eighty percent of the energy and the time. So since you brought me a little bit into more of a serious, not that this serious, but more of a uh, self reflection mode, I, I want to ask you a question and feel free to to address it or not, but. You told me that that you you got a divorce. I didn't know that about you. Once again, tell me a little bit about what is it like to. Um, I, I don't want to talk about the divorce, and I don't want to talk about your your partner if you don't want to do that. But what is it like to make peace with yourself post divorce? And what are some of the things that you have to do to sort of practice maybe self love or self compassion? Wow, thank you for that question. And I'll be very open uh, with you on this topic. I think um, the divorce caught me by surprise. Um, I tried to fix it and uh, it was initiated by the other party. Um, and mm -hmm. then I went through this really big spiral down. And um, she's been actually very supportive to say that she wants it to be mute. Um, to, to split mutually and she wants to make sure that I'm doing uh, well after the divorce. But I think the, the hardest part was actually what I felt about myself. I think I was brought up mm -hmm. with this uh, mindset that uh, marriage is for life. You know, I come from a very strong Christian yeah. uh, upbringing and I've, I've had that all the time in my head. So uh, a lot of things shook my core belief. And I think it took a while to really settle down and uh, question a lot of myself. I think the first step is, I think, um, to really start to understand myself and what I want, uh, to learn to forgive myself, I think, uh, because a lot of things seems to be very rushed. I've always had a very rushed lifestyle. Like you go to school, you try to hit all your grades, then you try to get a scholarship, go to 
uni and when work it's always about performance and trying to hit that yeah and then it, exactly. it really took me to this time of self-discovery i think after the divorce i took a, a year off i think i didn't date anyone i, I had that time period of mm. discovering myself i um, explored minimalism it's quite interesting that you you mentioned about that so minimalism um, helped me quite a bit because i actually sold off my place i moved into a smaller place i if you realize professor i've always wore like white formal shirts all the way monday to fridays yeah and on really? when i'm out of work it's black t-shirts the total opposite black t-shirts every day mm-hmm. <laughs> so i think that and i've actually um i don't want to sound too spiritual but actually my faith played a really big role in uh assuring me back to uh who i am and what i'm supposed to be yeah yeah at first it was really something that uh, affected me because you know uh most uh in christianity you're not supposed to get divorced but i think um going through that whole process of uh trusting in god and believing in god and have the friends that supported me really built that faith back up so faith played a major part of it. That's that's so amazing you say that. And I, I'm actually uh, very interested in learning more about uh, people's spiritual beliefs. I was born Christian um, and um, I actually attend every now and then. I, I go to a Christian church here in, in Kuala Lumpur. Um, but I have a very different relationship with spirituality and, and Christianity especially, I think, because... Um, I don't know, I'm unconventional even in that sense. But uh, uh, I, I really appreciate your, I think in a way, your capacity to realize that you need to take time off for yourself. And I have to say, I don't want to stereotype this, but uh, I think we expect more women to do that and less men. I'm sure men do it. I'm just saying that probably we expect women to do more of that and less than men. And I think it's 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 uh, it's a learning moment for me to hear you reflect on these things yeah i think the support men get um in this environment of divorce um it's not a lot of support you could get and there's a lot of stereotype of uh divorces i realized that actually happened to men uh as opposed to women i mean uh you know people always ask like oh like who's that girl or even during an interview when i had an interview um uh you know to to get uh a scholarship to try to get into ASB. Uh-huh. Um, is this not by ASB? So the person was like, "Oh, so you're divorced? I'm huh? very naughty guy." So I think little comments like that <gasps> um, happens a lot in in uh, in our culture, especially the Asian context of things. So I think the support that men get is not a lot. So I was quite uh, surprised by it. You're you're right. I, I um. As you were talking about it, I, I realized I, I do think there's a lot of stereotypical attitudes that there's a divorce. I'm sure the guy did something, most likely cheated, found somebody else. Right? Yes, that's, that's the majority the of commentary that, that you hear get. about divorce. <laughs> yeah. Or that he was abusive, he beat you True. up, or things like that. I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I'm I'm happy to see that you are you're you're back and you're you're continuing to jump out of planes, <laughs> literally. <laughs> okay, 
So I know I brought the, the, the conversation to a more um, serious note, but uh, what's your next question for me? Serious mm, or unserious? I think it's both. I think um, it's back to the thing on excellence. I think like um, that's, I mm-hmm. think from the first class where I met you, you really emphasized um, unapologetically on um, your, your expectations for excellence. And I think over the past one year, yeah. working with, uh, seeing how you teach and all, I actually see that sense of excellence uh, coming up among the team that works around you. Um, so that has been mm. very inspiring to me. So I think my question to you is, when you lead a team, um, I think what's the biggest team your team has, what's the biggest thing your team has done that actually make you very proud? Wow. I'm going to tear up at this question because I, I am... I am good because they make me good. Um, actually, it's so interesting. Yesterday, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, my director, Sharmaji, wrote me a message and he said, um, if you put a dog in charge of a pack of wolves, the wolves will be, be, behave like dogs. If you put a, a wolf in charge of a pack of dogs, wow. they will behave like wolves. You are our wolf. <laughs> I, there's many ways to interpret this. I'm going to look at the positive side. But, I'm writing um, this down. This is <laughs> You can also listen to the recording, by the way. The sound today is not very good, guys. I apologize. There's something in the background that it's, it's, um, it's not working. But uh, the, the, the things that team, the team does around me that make me very proud. So um, I think ASB is known because of action learning. And I lead the action learning team. Obviously, there's a lot of other people at ASB who help with action learning, but we won the award for the most innovative in the world because of action learning. It would be very hard to pinpoint things that they do uh, because I think it's a continuous process. But I would say, most recently, one of the things that made me the most proud is I say very often that excellence is the baseline but i never realized that people are listening yeah do you know what i mean and i saw one of my assistants wrote on her board that excellence is the baseline and then i started to hear a lot of people repeating it over and over and over again and i realized that they are now the carrier of the message and the carrier of the standards of excellence that I'm trying to, that I guess I'm trying to develop in my team. So I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the fact that even though I'm a a very uh, high standards boss, if that's a word, boss, um, I think they also get it. They understand why. And and they are the, the pole bearers of excellence, if you want. Yeah, that, that, that's very interesting How's to hear that? because I think like at work, as a working professional, also sometimes uh, we have these standards of excellence, but it's somehow we feel shy um, to actually say that that's, the excellence should be the baseline. And we compromise on that based mm. on the, the teams we are working with. And I'm, I have to say, Professor, you've actually inspired me to work in a very different way, even right after that first class of yours. Oh. Thank you so much. And I have to say, I don't remember that first <laughs> class. 
But I do want to say something. Um, and once again, I'm so sorry about the background noise. But it doesn't come easy and it comes with the cost of uh, a difficult reputation. What do I mean by this? Recently, I got a message from one of my students who is doing, uh, uh, who's part of a class who are doing a lot of entrepreneurship projects. And he was telling me that uh, they are very frustrated that I constantly push back and I'm not happy with what they, they prepare or to present um, before class. And, uh, and it's true. I'm, I'm actually extremely demanding of, of, of our students. But yesterday when they gave their final presentations, they were so proud of themselves in a way that I think I've never seen them yet this semester. And then he wrote me back and said, I get it. I understand why you're being such a hard ass while you're all over us all the way. Uh, we don't appreciate it in the moment. And maybe sometimes my delivery is way too harsh. Um, but I, I think so. I think I'm not going to apologize for, for excellence if that's the standard of my culture, of my institution. So I have, believe it or not, I have my okay, last question bring it on. for you. <laughs> this is fun. I must say, this is really fun. So you said that, you, yeah, you... I, it's very fun for me too. And like I said, if nobody's listening, but just the two of us, at least I'm learning a lot of things from you and for all the other Well, I'm listening that I to every one of your podcasts so far. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'm going to send you five extra points. I'm going to catch You them. can catch them nowhere. <laughs> all right. So I, I say this a lot in my, in my podcast, but uh, I think there's a lot of people who are still closeted unconventionals right who are afraid to come out of the invisible mm -hmm. box that somebody put them in and it pains me when i see people struggling to be themselves and struggling to accept who they are and trying to fit a profile that it's actually so not them do you have any advice for people like i this? like for me i'll be very honest say that I'm still figuring it out. I think um, even throughout the whole MBA mm -hmm. program, it's been a really transformative journey. You could ask all my colleagues that how much I've changed uh, ever since I joined ASB. But I think being an introvert and someone who struggles with a lot of self-confidence, I think my first step is always to learn to accept um, that each one of us is wonderfully and fearfully made. Um, it's all it's that step wow. of first acceptance. I think this goes back to like how I shared about my journey so far. Um, and to do things very unconventional, sometimes it need not be so um, out of this world. It's just about um, taking that calculated risk and saying, I'll do it. Uh, professor, you always say yeah. that um, how hard can it be? But I don't think I'm always that positive. Yeah. Sometimes I just put myself out there and just get into trouble by doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but at least you get in trouble by doing it and you don't get in trouble yeah. by not doing so it. So I think like to sum it all up, I think um, it's, it's always uh, the answer to how hard can things be. Sometimes it is just, it gets easier after you try to do it. So I think to summarize all my, my long train of thought is to always just be a doer. Go out and just try to do it. 
and if it's not right for you, I think it's okay to give up. Uh, but at, as long as you've tried oh, it absolutely. and you've done your best, then you know not everything fits us. You know, I I can't be a great singer, unfortunately. So you've I've tried it, and you know, <laughs> and it's okay to give up. Yeah, but you can be a great yes. You can be a great guitar player, right? But at yeah, least you I can also say, you know what? I also you try that. Do something else and just give it a go. I think if you keep on doing, then that would really bring um, us to do really unconventional things. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so, I so agree with that because one of the reasons why I had. Do you hear this this echo? I'm so sorry about this. No, I'm Are not you wearing, wearing headphones? headphones, but it's quite empty here. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's from me. But um, one of the things that I, I always said, one of the reasons why I had so many jobs is not because I, I wanted it so, but because I wanted to do it. And if it didn't go through, I, I stopped. And I didn't feel guilty about it. I was like, okay, I tried this. Uh, it's not me. It's not me now. Um, at least I can check that box. Yes, I think that's what right. I went through with my many different jobs also. I found out things that I'm good, I'm not good at, I enjoy. And maybe down the line, you try it a second time and you realize, hey, it, you, you tend to enjoy it the second time around. You know, I think life is all about exploring and experiencing different things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, uh, while I'm getting ready for your last question for me, I just want to say, one of the dangerous things that I think we try to communicate to young people is that life is linear and your decision about where to go to college, what masters to, uh, to do, what's your first job is going to affect the rest of your life. It's not, or it shouldn't, right? You should have as many chances to, to try new things as possible. And there is a place for you out there. If somebody crazy like me with 19 different jobs managed to find one that fits her, I'm sure you can do the same thing. But I think what is more dangerous than anything is to allow yourself to exist in a situation that you know it's mediocre for yourself, for your well-being, for your mental and physical being, uh, and then just say, you know what, there's nothing I can do about it. It is what it is. This, this expression gives me, like, <laughs> I would rather jump out of a plane than accept with this. All right. All right. All right. What do you have for me for last? I think earlier you spoke a little bit of your spirituality and that you are um, not so conventional in that way. And Professor, I do know you do a lot of big events. You do a lot of big talks. And you did mention in class that you are also an introvert. So I want to ask you, do you have any routines Mm. or any superstitions that you, you do before a very big event that you're nervous about? Wow, that's such a great question. Uh, I tend to be less nervous now, but the the most recent time I got really, really, really nervous was uh, I gave a TED Talk in front of 2,500 people in a stadium back home in Romania in front of all the the, the celebrities that I sort of grew up watching on TV. And that was paralyzing. (laughs) I was so, so scared. And actually, not only that, but the organizers of TED in general, they give you a very specific brief about the way they want you to speak and they want you to sort of follow the TED style. And that's one thing that really doesn't uh, sit well with me when somebody tells me to follow a style because most of the time the style is gonna be very different than my style. But um, 
one of the things that I do, believe it or not, I listen to very, very aggressive music. Um, the things that really get me going. So I, I, I learned, but you're, you're the musician, you tell me. I learned the specific type of music generate different type of hormonal response. Um, so one of the things that I love, like I said, I love Prodigy. Prodigy, it's a very, very aggressive sort of punk, uh, uh, rave, uh, electronic music. Um, and I feel like it increases my testosterone, believe it or not. I feel like I have all of a sudden a very masculine, strong energy about me. Um, I listen to, uh, I try to get myself in a quiet corner and not look at everybody and just um, just get in the mindset. And the, the person that I saw doing this was oh, Michael, Phelps. Michael Phelps during the yes. Olympics. You remember that? Yeah. So Michael Phelps said a, a similar thing. I didn't know that. I'm not saying that I'm doing what he does. I'm just saying. You know, it was a coincidence that uh, he has a playlist of very specific songs that pump him. And before he gets he, before he gets in the pool, he has this playlist. And I always wanted a playlist. And they actually think that Spotify has Michael, Michael Phelps playlist. Uh, but for me, getting getting in the groove, I don't want to talk to anybody for a minute. I don't want to I don't want to deal with anything. And sometimes I do that before class because I need to ground myself. And I need to find my teaching self or my preaching self or my lecturing self that is very different than my regular self. So I think that moment of, of grounding yourself and, and sort of channeling the energy that you want to bring, uh, it's very, very important. And especially for introverts like, like you and me, that the experience of being with other people is very taxing and is very painful. I think okay. it's very important. So it's music and isolating yourself. <laughs> yeah uh it, it doesn't have to be for long but i just need that moment when i'm 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 all by myself and i'm breathing deeply and i'm listening to this very very hard beat um and i i just would this i get there i'm there would this still apply you know because, even in this COVID world where we have so many zoom meetings So I have to tell you, and, and I think I said this on my social media many times, that uh, I, this is a joke, guys. Don't come after me. But I know you can <laughs> die of COVID, but can you die of Zoom? Because I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm dying in, in the sense that my my energy is being drained and pulled out of me like a, a thread. Um, I would say even before I start class on Zoom, and maybe on Zoom even more than in person, because Zoom, Zoom is a lot more draining than the, the, the experience with um the, the experience of being in person, uh, I try to do that. I try to either go and hug one of my cats. Don't laugh at this, but hugging a pet increases. I endorphins. have a dog, so I agree. You have I a dog, so you know too. this, right? <laughs> and I think every working professional would agree yeah. with you so, that um, Zoom meetings is just so exhausting. It is. It is. It's exhausting. But on the other hand, what's the alternative, right? Um, but so I do that. I try to either do something that gives me a little bit of positive endorphin, like like hugging a cat <laughs> against their wishes, by the way, because my cats are not very huggable. They don't like to be hugged uh, or I play a song or believe it or not, I watch for five minutes. Oh, okay. something Star yeah, you Trek can do related. That at home. You can do that at home. And the reason why I do that is it, it changes my um, it sort of like changes the chemistry of my brain. It puts me in a very different place. For me, Star Trek is the most positive message that humanity has ever created. And watching it and being in that moment sort of 
releases the the energy that I, I the nervous energy that I have or the concerns that I have and then sort of like calms me yes, down and preps sense. me up. Makes sense? I didn't know you're an introvert and I have to say I didn't know that you have so many so many doubts about how awesome you are because Merle, you project such a strong man, such a confident man, but not a cocky guy. You actually have such a quiet, strong energy about you. I, I remember seeing you the last time, like I said, I saw you at this bakery. And I have to say, you, 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 when you walk, you, you're, you're gliding a little bit. There's something very cool and <laughs> chilled the first about time you. I'm hearing that and I'm very flattered. Oh, seriously, seriously. I'm, I'm very surprised by some of the things that you told me today. But that's, that's the reason why I think I, I do this podcast is because I love to have this kind of conversations with people that, by yeah. the way, I know, <laughs> but I don't. And for those of you listening, the, one of the reasons why I invite uh, people from the normal walks of life, if you want, and not that I, I know celebrities, I know a few, but uh, I feel like we can relate so much more to people like us then we can relate to people that are already so far off our spectrum of success. Like, yeah, I agree with want. it. And what I do you think, think like this is quite eye-opening for me also, like because I've always communicated with you as a professor. And I think today I've got chances to ask you about mm. your encounters with the police. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, but I have to tell you, Merle, nobody asked me what would I do for a year. And party. I'm very, very yeah. surprised get that to all see I want to do is party. Of our professor. Yes. <laughs> so I really enjoyed this. All right. We had an amazing conversation, guys, with, with uh, the wonderful and highly unconventional Marco. Um, this is your Unconventional Professor podcast. This was five on five. Please stand by for the lesson of the day. Merle, once thank again, you. thank you so, so much. You have been wonderful. I'll see you soon. And I will Take see you care. in class, I guess, right next week. Welcome back, unconventional people. I hope you enjoyed this interview. I have to say I had a lot of fun answering all the naughty questions uh, by Merle. And uh, before I let you go for, for the day, uh, this is the lesson of the day. And today I want to talk about one of the top 10 smart skills that I preach about, which is cognitive readiness. Did you hear that? Cognitive readiness. So I think of cognitive readiness as... The mental preparation that you and I and everybody else needs to establish and sustain performance in a highly unpredictable and often complex environment. Or in simple terms, the ability to be ready for no matter what, no matter when. I know, it's very, very hard to do, right? So one of the reasons why I chose cognitive readiness um, as my, my top 10 smart skills is that I think uh, today, and not just because of COVID, but I think because the world is moving so fast today, being constantly um, ready, being mentally ready for no matter what, it's an exercise that every single one of us needs to practice every day. But how do we do that? How do we build cognitive readiness? How can we always be ready for no matter what? It's not like we can see the future, right? If we could, I wouldn't be here. I would be somewhere in the middle of Pacific on my own private island, drinking my champagne. Oh, don't remind me. So, cognitive readiness. 
um, I think is a combination of thinking fast and slow. Are you familiar with Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman? So Daniel Kahneman, Professor Kahneman, talked about the, the fact that the brain thinks in two different ways. Thinks in automatic mode and in conscious mode. Automatic is doing things without thinking instinctively with very little effort, both mental and physical. Um, you're almost like an automatic pilot. Whereas conscious processing is when, when you think carefully, when you pull a lot more effort, when you're more conscious, when, when you are deliberate about your decisions. A, a very simple example would be, think about the first time you learn how to drive. The first couple of weeks, you probably had to be extremely attentive to everything that you were doing and you are probably concentrating very, very hard. Whereas five years or 10 years later, you're probably not really paying that much attention because you're almost in automatic processing. So what's the, what's the connection here? Why do I talk about cognitive readiness and the automatic versus conscious processing? I think as cognitive readiness as a part um, of, of the advanced slow thinking uh, that enables leaders to, to sort of think carefully about the problems they face, um, right? So if you need to mentally prepare for what it comes, you cannot be in automatic thinking mode. You cannot do things as you always did, right? Imagine that you learn how to drive um, on a highway and all of a sudden you, learn, you have to dr drive now in a, a Swiss mountain uh, road. It's, it might be driving, but it's not the same experience, right? So I don't want to say that cognitive readiness is always slow thinking, but I think it's rather an intense um, combination of slow and fast and slow and fast. And I think the more you practice this behavior where your fast thinking um, automatically goes into action when your brain says, all right, I process this, I got it, I understand, let's move on. Um, and I also think, this is just my hypothesis, that the more you practice this balance between fast and so slow, um, the more you can think slower in a faster way, if it makes sense. So you don't need to be in a slow mode for too long because you start to make a lot more uh, connections, you start to make a lot more analogies, you start to see things. Um, so it, it, is, it is, I think, conscious um, balancing. It's balancing a fast and slow in order to achieve cognitive readiness, which, like I said, I define it as the mental preparation for all of us, myself, your team, your everybody else, to face a dynamic, uh, ongoing, very unpredictable and highly disruptive environment. So this was the lesson of the day. Uh, cognitive readiness is a smart skill. And like I said, I think in order to develop it, you need to learn how to balance both slow and fast thinking. I hope this was helpful and I will see you next time here on the Unconventional Professor podcast. I have an amazing guest lined up for the next episode. Stay tuned and I will see you soon. Aloha, everyone.